This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Career Talk, a new podcast series by The Straits Times podcast channel, Your Money and Career. At Career Talk, we help you take charge of your own career and make your ambition pay off. I'm your host, Tae Hong Yi. The words boot camp may evoke images of jungle grime and physical strain, but the term has taken on fresh meaning in technical education globally. Now, boot camps that claim to impart key skills in technology, especially software engineering and data science, have popped up worldwide over the last decade. Providers such as General Assembly and Le Wagon conduct intensive full-time courses over a matter of weeks and months, where more traditional providers like universities could take years. So, how are these courses set up to keep things short? And what is it like to enrol in one? Helping me in the studio to understand this better with his story is Mr. Chong Ziliang, a data analyst of three years. This is a particularly meaningful episode, as Ziliang was a political correspondent right here at ST till 2017. So welcome back, Ziliang. Glad to be here. Yeah, so just to start off with this conversation, why did you decide to make this relatively drastic career change from journalism into data seven years into your career? And why data specifically? Well, after seven years at The Straits Times, uh, I felt it was time to explore the outside world. And I actually did a couple of years of corporate communications uh, with a global bank. So it was at that point in time where I saw that data was really emphasised uh, by the private sector. You know, they were talking about data being the new oil, data being the new air even. Uh, and I thought, wow, okay, this is something that maybe I should start learning about. And at that point in time, my skills were very analog in the sense of, uh, you know, having contacts, writing, pitching stories, uh, things like that. And everyone was talking about digitalization, right? To be honest, I felt a bit scared. Like, wow, am I going to be left behind? Is this something that is going to be central to all careers in the future? And I thought, okay, I'll start to learn a little bit about this uh, on my own free time. So I started picking up coding, uh, learning about data analytics and data science through online courses, both free and uh, relatively cheap ones, things that cost about $20. And I thought, okay, you know, if I don't finish this course, at most it costs about two movie tickets, right? What was there to lose? So it just built from there. And uh, one thing led to another. And before I knew it, uh, okay, I thought that my interest didn't wane. I was still pretty sad about this. And so I started explore how I could make it into a full-time thing. So you mentioned this concern about disruption and the rise of data. As you would know, there's ChatGPT now. You know, with, were you expecting something like ChatGPT to come out so fast and threaten journalism in the way that it has? I think yes and no. Yes, in the sense that even when I was doing data in 2019, I remember this really explosive growth in uh, interest and advancement in self-driving cars, right? So at that point in time, it was all this talk from Elon Musk and Uber about how um, driving was going to be a thing of the past. It was about safety, it was about speed, and then all the people who were fearing for their jobs were, were drivers. Uh, so I, I saw how quickly things could change. But in terms of writing at that point in time in 2019, 2020, there was already pretty much a lot of advancement. I remember around that time was when Google Translate suddenly became so good, right? You know, you, you plug entire paragraphs into that thing and it translates almost flawlessly. So, so at that point in time, there was already this explosive growth. But um, ChatGPT, wow, it really kind of took my breath away uh, when I first messed around with it. Uh, just 
plugging in some press releases and saying, hey, you know, write me an 800-word article and boom, okay. It was a pretty rough first cut, but you know, pretty comparable to what I would have done when I was a rookie, I guess. So when you decided to get into data more seriously, you took on a relatively intensive kind of bootcamp format that taught you those skills in a relatively compressed time frame. So what about this format you felt gave it an edge over other kinds of courses you were considering to prepare yourself for your career change? Right. So uh, as I shared, I was starting to get serious about data and possibly turning it into a full-time job. And I did explore different avenues. So uh, some of them more formal education paths like a second degree or a master's even. At the end of the day, I thought, okay, I wanted something that could get me ready for the workforce as quickly as possible. Something that would not just teach me new skills, but maybe leverage my existing capabilities, existing experience in the workforce. That's when I came across General Assembly uh, through the advertisements and also stories in the media. Uh, it seemed to have a very good reputation and I started cold calling some of the graduates from General Assembly and they very helpfully said, yes, okay, I'll speak to you and they shared their journey, you know, how they went through the three-month intensive course, uh, how they were able to pick up new skills and really found new jobs in the industry. So that's when I thought, okay, this was a very viable path. And the next thing I did was also contact some of the uh, admissions officers at General Assembly, and they were very helpful as well. Um, I felt that there was a true belief as well as a commitment to really suss me out and see wh why I wanted to join General Assembly and what was my career path ahead, what, what, the, what was my plan. So I thought overall there was really a, a very nice commitment to helping me move on to the next stage of my career. So how do you address concerns from employers and interviewers who look at your background and say you took this relatively short course and your background previously was pretty much unrelated, at least uh, superficially, compared to someone who is, let's say, a computer science graduate with a, with a bachelor's degree and is a fresh graduate? So do you ever you know, get put in such comparisons and how did you handle these comparisons when you were searching for a job? Well, um, you, you pointed out something very important and I think uh, I did face some of this scepticism when I first finished my course at General Assembly. I remember particularly uh, quite a few prospective employers, they, they cast quite a sceptical eye on, oh, you don't have a STEM degree, for example. And to say nothing short of like not even having computer science or data science background, right? They, they were looking at least for a STEM degree and my degree was in journalism, in communication studies. So there was really this scepticism. A lot of the things that I did to overcome this first hurdle was to really put myself out there in networking sessions, in you know, career fairs. And one of the things that General Assembly did that was really helpful was they had a career fair for the graduates where prospective employers came down to look at our final projects, our capstone projects, and talk to us and get to know us. And then that, that I, I treated very much like my first round of interviews with these people. You know, so they see me in the flesh, they see what I am capable of, and they hear me out to hear my thought process, to hear how I approach problems, uh, whether I have a logical flow to my thinking. And I thought that was really helpful. And actually, my first data job at 99.co came about from the General Assembly Career Fair. So, and I imagine there were also technical interviews as well. That's quite a common part of more progressive tech employers did that provide you a platform to showcase your skills regardless of your qualifications. 
Yes, yes, that, that happened. Um, so some of the technical interviews I did were really quite nerve-wracking, I must say. There was one where I remember doing this so-called dreaded whiteboard test where, you know, I had to write out code on using a whiteboard marker on, on the whiteboard. I guess to put it in terms that, that a journalist could relate to, it, it would be like writing your story uh, in front of three copy editors watching you type every single word, right? As, as you are composing the story in real time and they are, they are just watching you, making sure that you are, you are not making any mistakes at all. So, so it was that nerve-wracking. Yeah, that would be stressful, I, I would imagine. Was something that you had to cope with was the prospect of having to start from scratch at an entry-level role in the sector. How did you cope with that prospect um, and the potential kind of opportunity cost? Right, so I think... Having a very well-thought-out, well-considered plan is key. Uh, if you go into it knowing that it's going to be tough, it might possibly take you a few months to find a job and therefore you have to prepare yourself financially, psychologically and prepare your family members as well for, for this path that you're going to take and explain to them why you're, you are going to take this course. Then you would have the support system in place to stay the course when things get tough, right? So uh, just a very practical example, if you have enough savings into the third month of not having a job yet, you know, you, you can stay the course. But if you start running out of funds, you might start to get tempted by, oh, okay, maybe, maybe it's not for me after all. Maybe I should just go back to what I know best. Yeah, so having the support system in terms of money and friends and family support, that's very important. Yeah, and I think that is something that you know, many on the fence have concerns about. So perhaps just to get into a bit more specific terms, what factors do you consider when you weight the cost? So for example, there's the opportunity cost, right? Because there's a lost time uh, from not earning a wage, so to speak, and the potential for a pay cut because you're re-entering a new sector with, uh, from scratch. Against the benefits of pivoting into this new sector, how, what was your thought process like when you, when you weighed all that? Right, okay. So first and foremost, I, I saw it as a, an investment in myself. I looked at these uh, data skills and I thought that they were skills that were going to be needed for the long term in the future and that in order to gain these skills, I had to make certain sacrifices and uh, investments in myself for the short term. So that was how I saw it and uh, that was how I could help myself and uh, my loved ones as well accept the short term sacrifices and the difficulties. So I would say that you, you have to see it in terms of that and see whether you weigh the pros and cons for yourself and whether it is the right path for yourself. Um, the last thing I'll add is that even as you switch to a new path, I believe that the new skills that you gain should be used to complement your, your existing skills, right? So for example, now that I'm in data, I realize that data is not just about technical skills. It's not just about data wrangling, writing code. It's about using the data to solve a business problem and not just solve this problem, but explain and communicate the solution to your stakeholders as well. And that's when my skills as a journalist really helps me to put things in simple but not simplistic terms so that you know, people who want to make decisions can say, ah, okay, I see how I follow your logical flow and I see how you came to the conclusion. Okay, it's, it's not just a bunch of uh, signs and computers say so, therefore I should do this, you know. You actually explain to me why certain actions need to be taken. How old were you when you decided to make this career switch? Okay, I was in my early 30s and I thought that that was a 
pretty good time to make a career switch. Uh, that was when I had almost a decade of experience uh, in the workforce. I thought I knew quite a bit about my, my area of expertise. Uh, I could see the possible paths forward. But at the same time, I felt that there were still a lot of exciting opportunities outside of uh, the industry that I was in. Not having started a family yet, had quite a lot of uh, freedom at that point in time. Uh, my wife and I, you know, we, we didn't have a child at that point in time. So still relatively more time and uh, energy to invest in myself at that point in time. Was there a specific project that you undertook that blended that sort of journalism background and ability to explain things with data? Like, So what's a story that you have told through data that you're particularly proud of? Well, um, I guess... My final project at General Assembly was probably something that kind of blended my old world with my new world, so to speak. So it was a project that looked through about eight years' worth of uh, business time story and used uh, natural language processing to process these stories and uh, assign them, assign these stories a sentiment, so whether they were positive or negative about the economy in general. And then using these scores, I would then try to predict the uh, direction of the GDP growth. And what I found was that, wow, okay, these stories do sort of have linear relationship, a relationship with the GDP ups and downs, and that was pretty cool. Later on, I found out that, you know, even the Ministry of Trade Industry has been exploring certain projects in the same vein. So, so wow, that was, that was pretty cool in the sense that I was doing something that, you know, uh, real-world practitioners were, were, were interested in as well. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's get back to our conversation with Mr. Chong Ziliang on being a mid-career entrant into the tech sector. So having been in the industry for almost a decade before you made this uh, switch, did you ever feel like there was a pressure to make up for lost time that, oh no, my career trajectory is behind a data professional who has done this for th- throughout his career at the same age as, as you are right now? Mm, honestly, no. When I decided to make this switch, I had already factored these uh, sort of you know, practical factors into consideration. I always believe in this, you know, saying that, you know, the, the best time to start was yesterday, but the second best time is today. So having missed yesterday, you know, we might as well go with today, right? Uh, and right now I'm with Shopback as a data analyst, and I feel that, you know, with the team, we have different kinds of uh, experiences, different kinds of backgrounds, and a different number of years of experience, but we really gel together and are able to help each other out no matter the number of years of experience, be it inside or outside of the data industry. So I, I still see that I can contribute, uh, even though I'm relatively new to this area. And that, that's, that really makes the difference and makes it meaningful. What are some common misconceptions or misunderstandings from people in general that you have faced about your choice of training? Okay, uh, I guess it's two extremes. One being that, you know, it is not comparable to a path, say, of a degree or a master's, right? Uh, and to that, I would say that uh, having been in the, in the data industry for about three years, I don't think anybody cares about past a certain point, what, what you studied or, 
or what your academic background was, or even what your, your career before joining data was, they, they care about you being able to, as I said, solve business problems, approach issues with a clear and logical mindset, and be able to then frame a solution for them that they can understand and accept. Yeah, so, so these are the things that I think re- really make a difference. And uh, it's my answer to people who think that uh, having a master's or having a degree is m- more important or sets you apart from someone who, who has done a bootcamp only. Um, the other extreme, I guess, would be people who see these bootcamps as um, things that you can cruise through or, you know, uh, to put it in more colloquial terms, you know, sure pass one, uh, that kind of thing, you know. Because... My experience was very different. It was really tough. Uh, we are compressing a lot of knowledge transfer in three months or sometimes less. So it really is up to yourself, myself at that point in time, to push myself to learn as much as possible. You know, the, the, the instructor is there to guide you, but he's not there to check your homework. Uh, he's not there to teach you coding from scratch. He's just there to show you certain principles and make sure that you know, you have the tools to help yourself. So it was really an environment where self-motivation was very important. And I guess I was fortunate that my class was really cohesive and everybody really put together to, you know, encourage each other. I thought that was very powerful. Everyone in that class was, was really focused on learning and self-improvement. So how long was your course? And within that length of time, you, as you mentioned, there's a lot of knowledge transfer. What were the elements that made it work for you to be able to absorb a good amount of that knowledge over that period? So for, for someone like me who came to the, to the, the course without uh, relevant industry experience, right, I, I felt that my months of self-learning coding and uh, certain data principles were, uh, really made a difference. So I, I didn't start from zero on, on day one. I, I, I think I would have flunked out of the course if I, if I did that, you know. Uh, so that, that really made a difference. Uh, and then being proactive to, to clarify things that you don't know, you know, putting in the hours after the, the, the class has dismissed at five o'clock to, to continue learning and, and make sure that I understood the material. That, that really uh, was important for me. And also, I guess, like I said, my, my classmates, they were, they were very enthusiastic about the learning as well and, you know, making the switch. So Having people in the same boat, I guess, rowing in the same direction really was, I guess the camaraderie really, really helped. So how long was the course? Uh, 12 weeks, was it? Yes, it was uh, 12 weeks. In terms of projects, we had uh, five projects to complete. And so it was a cadence of about two weeks per project and uh, culminating in the capstone project that we would then you know, present to the whole class and say, hey, this is my idea. I came up with it and these are my findings. And then use that as, you know, the stepping stone towards pitching that to prospective employers and saying that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm capable of conceptualizing something like this. It shows that I can solve certain problems, I can approach certain issues, I have certain interests. So this was a five days a week class that you attended physically, was it? Yes, that's right. Um, so this was pre-COVID days, uh, I know. Everything was in, in the classroom, in the campus. I believe that right now they're doing a hybrid sort of uh, training. And then after hours, did you frequently find yourself to study after hours after it ended at five as you spoke? About how many hours do you put in a week, would you say? Wow, that was 
pretty intense, I think. I think after hours, I put in another couple or, or, of hours or like three hours. And then uh, maybe four or five hours per day during the weekends as well. But um, like I said, I think it differs for pe- from person to person, right? I felt that as someone without a STEM degree, without re- having been in so-called the arts uh, for a decade of my career, I owed it to myself to give as much effort as possible to make it work. So, so I think I pushed myself pretty hard during that, that period. So to end things off, I have one last question for you, Zilian. What's a piece of advice you would have for someone who is on the fence about changing careers into tech or not? Well, I would say take the first step and try it out in an environment that is easy and doesn't have any rules and, you know, doesn't hold any penalties for you. So in practical terms for myself, that was, you know, taking the online courses, you know, even if I didn't finish them, probably only myself would know and then I'd be a bit embarrassed about, for myself, but that's about it, right? Um, then see whether your interests can hold. And uh, I think beyond that, the more important thing is to believe in your own ability to learn. You might think that you've been in certain industries for 10 years or even 20 years, and that's all I know. And, you know, it's probably too late for me. But I would, back to differ, I think that everyone has the ability to learn no matter the age or no matter the past background. You know, if once you believe that you can learn something and switch your mindset from saying that, oh, I don't know about this to, oh, this is something I should learn about, then you start to be able to chip away at the, at the problem and learn certain things and take, take it step by step and build up your knowledge from there. Then the whole issue of switching careers won't be so intimidating after all. That was some really good advice, Zuliang. Thanks for that. Hey, it was great to be here. Thank you for having me. That was Chong Zuliang, journalist turned data analyst, sharing with us his skills training journey. Well, that's a wrap for this fourth episode of Career Talk. I'm Tae Hong Yi. If you resonate with the points raised, do share this podcast episode with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you about your successes, challenges, and fears towards upskilling. So drop me a note at my email address in the podcast show notes. You can also get more career and personal finance tips in the latest edition of ST's Head Start newsletter. We have all the links in our show notes. Catch me on the second Monday of every month with Career Talk. Thanks for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.